Morning, friends. Uh, as you know, I'm Aaron, and it's really, it's a gift to be a part of this community. Uh, Kelsey and I, a year ago, bought a house over on Gleason Road, and just to know that we're embedded here, and this is our place, and as Nick said, how our circles overlap, um, the people that you're thinking about in Burnt Hills, I'm thinking about, and Kelsey and our teams are thinking about, and so in that way, we're already in this together, and that's a great gift and a great privilege. Um, I have a picture of my team uh, that we'll put up on the screen. We recently had our Christmas party here at Buchanan Hall. Yeah, it was a big deal. Um, so thank you for letting us do that as a congregation. And this is just, this isn't even everybody in Young Life. There's a big group of adults in our communities that are thinking about young people. So be encouraged um, that you are not alone in thinking about people in this community, in Saratoga and Boston Spa, about teen parents, about middle school friends. And my role looks at Albany and Saratoga and that kind of greater circle. And so if there's a, a call for Young Life, uh, I'm the one that gets it. And I get to be a part of a committee that owns the ministry. If I were to leave, Young Life stays. And that's one of the beautiful things about Young Life. And one of the key things is our mission statement, which is this, that we want to introduce teenagers to Jesus. And we want to help them grow in their faith. And so I even look, there's some guys here that I've gotten to be a part of their faith walk, and it's not just me. There's dozens of volunteers. This thing is run by adults that have taken ownership. And so that's what I get to do, and it's one of the greatest jobs in the world. I've had a song stuck in my head. I would sing it this morning, but one, I'm not a great singer, and two, it's probably not a great idea to sing. So I'm going to read it like a poem. It's just the chorus. Is that fair? Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Maybe you've heard that before. I remember hearing it growing up in the Methodist church, and it never really clicked with me until recently, the idea of a living sanctuary. I know from, at least from the Old Testament, the sanctuary seems to be a place where God is. It's holy, it's set apart, it's sacred. And within maybe the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, is where maybe one priest would go. And it was such a dangerous place because it was so holy that they would tie a rope around the priest just in case they would yank him out. Or if he died, they'd get his body out. Sanctuary is a place. It's holy. It's set apart and sacred. So what does it mean for that to be living? And why might I ask the Lord to prepare me to be that? That is what makes Jesus Christ so wonderfully extraordinary and interesting. God used to be in a place, in a spot, where you would come to Him. And then that God that lived in that place is personified and exemplified in the person of Jesus. That God has left the temple and He clothed Himself in humanity. And He comes and gets close to us. That is what makes Jesus extraordinary. I love John 1.14 in the message. And it says this, that the word became flesh and blood. And it moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory. Like father, like son. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. I love that idea that God moves into the neighborhood. 
He doesn't, he's not just something in the sky, someone that we don't know, but he moves in with us. Boy, in this time with politics and all the things we've been talking about, the virus, all of the hardship and pain, don't we need a God that's willing to move into the neighborhood, willing to grow proximate and to be near to us? I need that so desperately. We need that so desperately. And this is the the beginning of the gospel news, right? John 3, 16 through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his his son into the world to condemn it, no, but to save it, to save the world through him. Things we're familiar with, that God so loved the world that he sends his son, he puts aside his riches, his grandeur, his throne, all of his powers, and he puts it aside. And in humility, he comes and he enters into our stuff. All of that, that he might get close enough that humanity would kill him, that he might take his life up again in the resurrection. That's the gospel, right? That is, it's news. We want people to know this news. It's more than information, it's news. It's a reality that's come to us. But God doesn't stop there. This is where it gets really good. That God is not just a rationale for morality. He's not just an avenue for explaining the galaxy and creation. And he's not someone up there with a magnifying glass looking to pick on us. Instead, we see all of these realities in Jesus. The visible image of the invisible God. That there's no more just a God out there that we're trying to appease. But there's a God in Jesus That is the gospel, that we can know God, that we can be with him. In our brokenness and our sin, he comes and he makes his home. Jesus is the personification of the gospel. News brought to life, news with breath, news with skin on. Someone you could touch, someone you could get to know. It's more than information. It's good news. It's more than good news. It's personified in Jesus. And you know what? God could have done it any other way. You know the jet planes, the little jet stream, and the spell I love you or whatever? God could have done it that way. He could have sent another prophet up to the mountain and told him and came down with a glowing face and told us. But he doesn't do that. He himself becomes the God-man in Jesus. And he moves into the neighborhood. So the love of God, his sacrificial heart, We get to know the person because it is tethered to the life of Jesus. Do you see that? It's tied together. The tethered nature of this, the personification, it's authentic. It's congruent. Who God is, is the same in Jesus. Who Jesus is, is who God is. Boy, I'll at least least speak for teenagers because that's who I spend a lot of time with and my team does. Authenticity is like out the door. Virtue seeking, letting people see a certain way, saying something to say something. Boy, when, when we just long for authenticity, and it feels at times like we've lost it. I feel like I, I lose it, and the people around me lose it. But Jesus comes, and he shows us what authenticity really is. So let's bring this to life. Let's look at Jesus. That's the best way to figure out what this can look like. So we're going to look at Mark 1, and it's two parts. It's going to mimic what we were just talking about. There's the news, the information, the proclamation, and then it's tethered to the life of Jesus. And Mark does this really neatly. So in part one, here's the news, verse 14. 
After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So we see that John 1.14 echoed that the kingdom has come near. I don't know about you. How does a kingdom move? I picture a moat and a big wall and a castle. The kingdom of God is different. It has come near in Jesus. It's on the move. It's no longer you come to me, it's I'm coming to you. It is a pursuit. It is a going out towards. That my, the Young Life leaders that I get to equip and oversee and encourage, if they've got five hours in a week, I want four of them out in the world of kids. We can have programs, we can gather kids, those are all good things, but if we are not out and going out to people, we cannot expect them to come in. And so in that way, our coming together really becomes a sentness because then we get to draw near to others. Do you see how that is a tethered reality? The reality that Jesus has come and he's come near to us. The kingdom has come near, the news, and then it's tethered to Jesus' life and then that might be tethered to us that we draw near. And the next part, that there's repentance and a reorienting. There is a result to this initiation by God, his power, his transformation in us. And there's a call to repent. And I picture this, my friend Glenn does this. <laughs> a repentance, a 180, a change of mind, a change of the way we see the world. Isn't that the beauty of the parables? They challenge us to see things in a different light. Jesus has a way, like with the Roman coin, he puts it right in their face. They've been staring at it and paying the tax all their life, and he says, whose inscription's on it? And the world is reoriented. Knowing that Jesus has come near and we can be with him, it is a reorienting thing. When you really understand it, it's the only possibility to return when you really understand it and to get it. So here's the transition to the action in verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. That makes sense. Throwing a net? Why are they doing that? They're fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And when he had gone a little bit farther, we're going to hear the same story, <laughs> different people, he saw James, son of, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Again, this nearness is exemplified in Jesus. And this is just one of the many gospel stories where the gospel writers are demonstrating this tethered nature, this idea that things are personified in Jesus. Not only does Jesus come down, but he comes down and he comes near to these people, to these brothers. And I love uh, this in... Um, 1 John 1, 1 through 3, if we could have that, that one of the fishermen says it this way, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. We testify to it. And we proclaim it to you. Eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. Jesus is the visible image. And how powerful is it that God would come and draw near as a person? Someone that we could know and touch 
and be with and joke with and walk with and eat with. The best parts of our life are having meals and along the way. God comes and he comes along the way. I think about this difference in proximity. Uh, over COVID, we tried doing Netflix parties. I don't know if anyone did that, where you get to log onto this app and you watch a show with someone and you comment in the side section, which is great. I love that because I can just type away and be sarcastic and make fun of the movie we're watching. But how different is it when we're sitting on a couch with somebody? Proximity is different. And how much different is it maybe with, I'll think about with my wife, if we're to have a Zoom call to be together as opposed to a candlelit dinner, face-to-face. And I know that there's realities to COVID and the things that we're experiencing that we can't get away from some of that distance. But boy, what a chance to be creative, to be a group of people that love Jesus that are going to be different. Because we're going to think, how can I be on wheels? How can I be a temple on wheels? How can I be a living sanctuary where I go out to people? That's, that's the difference in this stuff. And I think there's power in that the God of the universe would step forward and pursue us. There's a sense of letting go of status that we see in Philippians 2. I talked about the power, the grandeur, all these things that he puts aside. That we would release the things that we hold on to for comfort to go after. That we would release status to impute it on someone else. One of my favorite things in young life is discipling guys that are upperclassmen to think about underclassmen as someone they might want to be friends with. The power in a senior going to sit with a freshman. The power of the varsity soccer player deciding to spend time with the JV soccer player. The power of the senior deciding to build the dodgeball team with underclassmen. Do you see the imputed status, the letting go? And it's in that sentness. I remember my young life leader encouraging me to do that as a soccer player. Aaron, what would it look like for you after practice to go work with some of those guys? What would it look like for you to take TK, who was one of my favorite people, to take him out for pizza, to play video games with him, to have him over to your place, to go to his place? This letting go of status and of our things that we hold on to so tightly. And here's one of my favorite sayings. This, uh, if you leave with anything, leave with this. Jesus is the temple on wheels, but then also this, that you can fake caring, but you can't fake showing up. I'll say that one more time. You can fake caring, but you cannot fake showing up. It reminds me of this movie I used to watch in elementary school called Little Giants. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a really cliche, cheesy movie. It's the big, bad Pop Warner Cowboys team versus the ragamuffin, leftover kids, Little Giants. And there's a story, and one of the stories of one of the little giants is that his dad's always traveling. And his dad always missing the practices and not dropping them off. And you see it throughout the movie. The kid is just melancholous and sad and wishes his dad could be there. And it's the big game day versus the Cowboys, and he's still not there. And then the one play where this young man's going to get the ball, in the cliche, cheesy movie, but beautiful, dad's in the end zone entering the game. And the kid gets the football, and he runs down the field, stiff-arming all these tall <laughs> fifth graders, plowing his way through, gets in the end zone like he didn't even score a touchdown, throws the ball, and just runs into his dad's arms. You can fake caring, but you cannot fake showing up. There is power in presence and drawing in. And that is just a silly example of that. One of my real-life examples is my friend Jameel Hood, 
he lives down in Arbor Hill, and he runs the Hood's House of Hoops with his son, Jamil Jr. And they work out of the Frank Chapman Memorial Center, rec center. And he spends his summers with a bag of basketballs thrown over his shoulder, going court to court in Arbor Hill. Jamil could say, I love the kids of Albany, and write it on a piece of paper, maybe do a Facebook post. But that bag of balls over his shoulder going court to court says a lot different, doesn't it? It is tethered to his feelings and to what he, the reality of how he feels and how he sees the world. Him going court to court, kid to kid. And I tell you, the kids come out in droves because he shows up in their neck of the woods. It's different to show up, to tether our reality to our behavior. And so the incarnation of Jesus is like a temple on wheels. I'll echo that again. Not us to God, but God to us. And with all that, there's the reorientation. So the fishermen leave everything and follow. It reminds me of Revelation 21.5. Behold, I am making everything new. When Jesus really comes in, it just changes everything. You can't see the world the same. You can't see brokenness the same. You can't see your purpose the same. Jesus makes all things new. And he reorients us back We were image bearers, and then we were image of ourselves in sin, and then he brings us back into the image of Jesus. And that's what happens to the apostles. And here's the last kicker, is that's what happens to us. Jesus makes his home in whoever shall believe. The legacy of the mission and of the living temple, the gospel personified, is passed on. In those who believe, the gospel is personified in us. Again, Jesus could have done his ministry a lot of different ways. He could have gone to the temple and say, I'm not leaving, I'm going to preach here and everyone come to me. He could have just stayed on the mount for the Sermon on the Mount and said, this is the place where people are going to come see me. But instead, he goes out and goes by the lake, by the sea, and he calls a bunch of common people to say, just come and watch. Just come and be with me. Jesus takes stock in us, the broken ones. And he builds us back up together, and he makes us new. Do we really believe that? In this room, those who believe Jesus, he's in all of us. And when we leave, guess what? hate to tell you, he's coming with you. Wherever you go, Jesus is in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? That place where God is, who is in you, whom you've received from God, he's given it to us. This is so good. You are not your own. I like to hold on to a lot of stuff. You can ask Kelsey. I am not my own. My house is not my house. My life is not my life. My free time is not my free time. Jesus is Lord over all of these things. That is the legacy that's been passed to us because Jesus is the one that said, this is not my own. This is the Father's. I'm letting it go. I'm putting it all aside. I'm releasing control of this mission. What the Father says goes. Where he tells me to go, I go. Even in the garden, not your will, but mine. Not my will, but yours. And that's God initiating in us. So in Christ, we are the personification of the gospel to, to others. So coming together is really important. Because coming together, we can be sent out. So from this place, it's like a heartbeat. It's in and out, in and out. We come together to be equipped and encouraged, and then we get sent out to be the gospel on wheels, to be the temple on wheels, to be the personification tethered. 
We get to do it corporately, globally, in this body, and individually. So where you go, Jesus goes. When you go to work, Jesus comes with you. When you go to school, Jesus comes with you. When you're home by yourself, when you're in your own private place, Jesus is with you. My Heart, Christ's Home, one of my favorite little books. And the book ends, it goes room by room where this guy is, where Jesus has moved into the house and he's cleaning up this guy's heart of the, the home, the heart of his home, home of his heart, cleaning up room by room. And at the very end, they get to the nasty closet. And Jesus says, I can take care of that too. I can take the dead things out. And the last thing, the guy finally realizes, he says, I don't want you to be a guest here. I want you to have the deed to my house. That is what it means for Jesus to come with us. It's not even ours to hold on to. We have no rights to it. But in giving that over to Jesus, we receive all of his love and his mercy and his grace and guidance. Young Life Camp is a wonderful example of this idea that things, these gospel realities being tethered to, to things on earth. And so the Young Life Camp has been thought through and practiced and, and run for the last 75, 80 years. And every little thing seems to be thought through. The way that they eat meals, it's at a circle table so that you could sit together as a family. You can look each other in the eyes. The food comes out family style so that it can be passed around, that leaders can serve kids just as Jesus has served us. Um, and the, the leader, this is one of my favorite things, the leader will almost always allow the food to pass by, allowing others to eat first. And if there's nothing left, the leader will wait for the cold seconds. The, the club talks, the, the proclamation is, is spoken in a language that kids understand, which sometimes doesn't feel like English, but it is spoken in a language that kids understand, in a culture that they understand, things that they will make connections to. It's not a heady thing, it's this is for you. I love thinking about my second timers that come and they bring their friends, and the first thing they're going to do is they're going to call floor bunk. If there's no beds for them to sleep on, they're going to call the floor. And they're going to do it proudly because Jesus called floor bunk on humanity. He took the lowest seat for us. And those same kids are going to take opportunities. We, we play with this term that you, um, you take shotgun. That little cultural hook, remember growing up, I got shotgun, you run, you get the front seat. Instead, I'm going to give away shotgun. And not only that, but I'm going to sit in the middle seat, you know, like the awkward little hump, the seatbelt doesn't work. That all throughout camp, can't, we have an odd man out for parasailing. I'll take middle back. Oh, it's a tubing ride. There's five of us and there's four tubes. I'll, I'll, I'll take spotter. These little things tethered to Jesus. And they're not even spoken about. They're just experienced and lived out. So when kids hear the gospel, maybe for the first time, all of these things have been exemplified. That is the power of things tethered to this world. These gospel realities Taste and see that the Lord is good. That echoes in something like young life. So I guess the question would be, what are the gospel realities that we can tether? Kelsey and I have had to think about this as we think about having a home now. And the idea that we want people to be able to experience... That's just fine. Hold that there for me for a second. Jesus, reorient I'm going to go get a blonde wheel for the living sanctuary.
could expect. And so as we think about Jesus putting the stock of his legacy in people, this good news and reality of let's be reminded of the way that he reoriented them. He said, you're a fisherman, I'm going to make you fisher of them. It's like the coin, just this little thing. So what are you? Are you a stay-at-home parent? Are you in high school or middle school? Are you an engineer? Are you retired? Are you a pastor? Are you a child, a father, a mother? Are you single? How might the Lord take that and say, you're going to be single for me? You're going to be an engineer for the Lord. You're going to be a stay-at-home mom with thousands of them. He's going to tether it all together in the gospel that we need out from us. So a lot of this work is going to be on your own. I hope that I find the time for us to see this in the scriptures now, where Jesus is living out the gospel reality. And so I want us to think about it this way. That today sort this information. Hopefully there's some form of understanding. We've done a little bit of integrating. Too often, the Christian community stops there. We have our notes. Put a period on it, and pull the note, and go to our box, and then we it out. If we don't leave and apply this, we will lose the nearness of the kingdom in terms of the spreading exponentially. Jesus has set the wheel so that we can go out. So take this information, hopefully some understanding, some ways that we're integrating it, and apply it to your life. Go and do it. Go and let it saturate. Let it just leak out. There's a different sort of vibe. It's just the gospel. Let's let that be the thing that's contagious. And so I repeat myself one more time. Lord, prepare us to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, we will be a living sanctuary for you. Let me pray for Jesus. Uh, God of the universe, we just want to fall in front of you and say, what would you like? Lord, that you'd be with us, that we would recognize you're with us. Lord, that we would know we're not alone. It's a really good thing. It's so good, Lord, to allow you to live out with us. So often I want to think that I'm riding this bicycle, but really, Lord, you're the father of your hand on the seat on the handlebar. You are guiding me and guiding us. Thanks for People thinking about young people, Lord. Those are my sorts of people. Lord, that you would uh, remind teenagers that they are loved and cared for by adults showing up in their lives. Teach us, Lord, how to go out with confidence because it is you in us. Thanks for coming and sending your son Jesus, Father. We pray this all in Jesus' name.